All right. I gave Josh the verse back there. I said Isaiah 40, 31. He goes, oh, great. A refrigerator verse, he called it, you know? And it's because it's a popular verse you might see on someone's refrigerator. You might have it on yours or somewhere hanging up on one of your walls. It's one of the more popular verses in all of Scripture. Yet, uh, I don't know. I've, I've preached on it before, I'm sure. I've, I've definitely looked at it within messages. I love, I love the verse. I've done a message on eagles. And this verse speaks of eagles. Eagles are incredibly beautiful creatures. And we read in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, the very end of the chapter. Behold, all of them are false. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm in chapter 41. Isaiah 40, 31. You're probably, everybody's probably there but me. But it's a really powerful scripture. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Man, as I'm getting older and older, I really appreciate this verse more and more. Because this is talking about eternal youth in a way, you know. And, it's, and the Bible gives us a true fountain of youth. Amen. Uh, we have eternal life. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And now it's amazing when we look at this passage because uh, Isaiah chapter 40 comes right after chapter, uh, of course, 39, which talks about the exiled Jews who were in Babylon because of their re rejection and rebellion of God's word uh, and disobedience to him. And they went into exile, but God made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he said, even though he has dispersed his people uh, throughout the world, especially in Babylon, uh, he would bring them back into the land because he's faithful God. He keeps his promises. Amen. And so you have these incredible promises. But in chapter, when you get to chapter 40, he wants to encourage his people in regard to who he is and how he keeps his promises and how you could trust him. And they're going to be very wearied being in Babylon, right, for all those years. 70 years in Babylon was what was going to take place. And then God would use Cyrus. He even calls him by name in the book of Isaiah before the guy was even alive that he'll rise up a king named Cyrus, uh, the Persian king who history tells us in your history books uh, uh, God used to deliver the Jews from Babylon and send them back into uh, Jerusalem. Nehemiah is about that. Ezra, other books are about that, uh, about them coming back to the land. But what he wants to do, he wants to lift up their hearts. He wants to lift up their spirits because, you know, being in exile because of your sin and being ripped out from your home, a lot of people dying uh, from the invasion, people you knew, uh, maybe even some family members, your heart would be broken, in, and, and many of them were coming to repentance uh, and he was promising them that he, he already promised he'll bring them back. But the Bible says God's a lifter of our heads. So we get down, he wants to lift us up. Remember what he said to Cain? We talked about this recently. Cain, why is your countenance fallen? If you do what's right, will you not be accepted? The Bible says he is a lifter of our heads. He doesn't want you to stay down. He, you're created in the image of God, man. That's a radical thing, man, to be created actually in the image of God. I mean, we're very different than the animals. We think, we write music, we, we create, and so forth. We're giving stewardship over the animals and so forth. It's, it's pretty unreal uh, what the Lord's done. But the name of this message is New Strength for the New Year. And a lot of people get burned out. A lot of, a lot of people get burned out. A lot of people get burned out in ministry. A lot of people, a lot of pastors get burned out. I can understand why. It's a lot of work. Uh, 
I have good fight here with, along with blessed hope. So I know what it means to spin all the wheels. And, and my wife, she's been on my coattails as she always puts it for a long time. And it's been, I've been ministering for years, but I can't say anything about my own strength. I have to say all glory to God because I'd fall flat on my face. I can guarantee you if I wasn't waiting in the Lord, if the Lord wasn't empowering me, if the Lord wasn't giving me strength to carry on and keep that excitement and that love for him, it's by his power. And we don't have to burn out. The Lord doesn't want us to burn out. He wants us to be lit up for him. Amen. Amen. He wants us to shine the light. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And he, the son of righteousness, S-U-N, of righteousness, with healing coming, rises, wings of prophetic, messianic prophecy. Jesus fulfills that. The sun is a picture of Jesus. Amen. And we're like the moon. You know, we reflect his light. We don't have our own light because we're not the creator. He is. But we reflect the light even as he reflects he sends light to the earth like the sun does. It's a picture of him. The moon reflects the light of the sun to the world. So we reflect the light of Christ to the world. Amen. Amen. He's ascended. He's with the Father. And then he shall, the scriptures are very clear, uh, return. Now, it's interesting. When you look at Isaiah, uh, I want to focus on certain key points here. And part of, I was tempted to just go through verse by verse through the entire chapter and just exegete it, but I know it would not be more than one message if we did that, and I want to get a lot of, to a lot of my main points. So we're going to jump around a little bit, but we're going to also look at it, because I want to look at some other passages as well. But the things that he focused on here, before, when it says those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength, he wants to engender trust in you to seek him because he has ultimate power, Amen. Jesus said that I give you power over the devils, over the, uh, like over the scorpions, you know, over the serpents. And the, 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 the early disciples went out and they were casting demons out of people left and right, right? And it was quite interesting because uh, they came back all excited that they had power over demons. And Jesus said, don't rejoice that you have power over demons, but rejoice because your names are written in heaven, amen? Hallelujah. So he wants us to rejoice in our salvation, but he also wants us to understand that he offers you power to live the life that he's called you to live, okay? Not so you can use it narcissistically and use power for your own will and pretend you're God because you're not, but so you can use power for God's glory, amen, and live for him because he's the creator and we are not, you know? Uh, can you imagine an ant coming out of a hole saying, I am God, I'm God. And you look at that ant if you could interpret ant language, you know? And saying, I am God, you think that's just so pathetic. But what do you think the angels think of us, little human beings, when we think we are gods? Amen. Well, the thing is, when we start to think that we're gods in some way, we rely on our own power or the power of demonic entities, which I did before I was a Christian, it's, it's futile. There, it's, it's empty, ultimately. Because the Bible says that the demons believe and tremble, James chapter 2. Remember when Jesus cast the demons out of the legion? The guy said, we are legion for we are many. The spirits said that. They started crying out to him. Do not, Jesus, don't, don't torment us before our time. Cast us into the pigs. They freaked out in Jesus' presence. Amen? Because he has all power. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus said, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. Amen? Amen. So we want to recognize that he is the one with the power. And he is the one we need to seek because our very lives depend on him. But we're not to seek him for self's sake. We're supposed to seek him for his glory so we'd be in harmony with his will. Amen? Just as we have cells in our bodies, when those cells are in harmony with the rest of our bodies, we're healthy, right? Amen. But if you have cells that go renegade on you, what, what's that called? It's called cancer. Amen? 
And what do you try to do with cancer? You try to kill it one way or another, right? And uh, we don't want to be cancer cells in the body of Christ. We want to serve him and live for him. Now, it's interesting, as we look at the scripture, some of the things he emphasizes in this chapter is his power over the princes of the earth, his power over the nations. So they'll realize, you know what? He's ultimately in control, therefore we could trust him. So I want to point out to you a few things. Look at chapter 40, verse 27. Chapter 40, verse 27. And when we look at these verses, look what he says. He says, why do you say, O Jacob? Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. And the justice due me escapes the notice of my God. See, some of them were saying, hey, God doesn't even see what we're doing. You know, some of them use that in a negative way. Like, well, God doesn't see what I'm doing. Therefore, I can get away with things. Read that in Ezekiel and so forth. Uh, here, they're saying, hey, you know, God doesn't even, you know, how do we know God's going to actually answer our prayers to go back to the land and so forth? And he's letting them know he's in control. But look at verse 28. The Lord asked them a couple questions which are almost rhetorical, and then he answers the questions by giving them four, shining the light of four of his attributes that should encourage them in regard to their faith. And I hope they encourage you in regard to your faith as well today. Verse 28, do you not know? Because they're like, hey, you know, their ways are hidden from him, you know? And he's like, you know, they're not, you know? I see everything that goes on. The smallest speck floating through the world or the universe he sees the very crevice it lands in. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable and he gives strength to the weary and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Now it's interesting, when you look at what's going on here, there's a few different things that he's saying about himself that we need to focus on a little bit. He's the everlasting God. He's the eternal God. And he's letting them know, which is important, that he's been around forever and he'll be around forever. The Bible says of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, that I am the same, that he is the same yesterday, today, and what? Forever. Amen. That's why Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am you know, and he's identifying himself with Yahweh in the burning bush who says to Moses, tell him that I am, that I am has sent you. We're talking about the eternal God. Amen. Yeah. Talking about he's from everlasting. The Bible says in Micah 5, 2 in the Old Testament that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And it says his goings forth are from everlasting. The Bible says of God that he is from everlasting to everlasting. Amen. Yeah. That's, that's mind blowing. And this is important for them to know because when he lets them know I'm the everlasting God, I'm the eternal God, they're letting, he's letting them know that I'm faithful, that I've been around forever, that I'm not some deistic God that just shows up and then just takes off on you, that I've made promises, that I chose a person, Abraham, out of all the people of the earth, that through his lineage, 
the Jews through King David and through the line of Judah, the Messiah would come forth and that through the Messiah, all the nations of the earth would be blessed because God didn't save the Jews and say, hey, I want the Jews and you're the chosen people and it's just because I love you and I don't love anybody else. No, they were, end, they, were, they were end to a means and that was through, right away you find that out in Genesis chapter 12, 19, elsewhere, that he chose the Jews, that through them all the nations of the world would be blessed and guess what? The Messiah came through the Jews and guess what? We're on the other side of the planet and there's millions and millions and millions and millions, there's hundreds of millions of Christians throughout the planet, over a billion people, over two billion people claim to believe in Jesus. A lot of them have the wrong Jesus, like the Muslims, they believe he's not the son of God, but just a prophet. But all kinds of people know his name, but many people actually know him. And we've become the seed of Abraham, it says, through faith in Galatians chapter three, that we're, 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 we become children of God through faith, through our sins being forgiven. We are part of the new covenant, and that was, part, that was called the Abrahamic covenant. Then God brought the law, but the Abrahamic covenant was never rescinded because the law was to show people their sin so people would realize, man, I'm in trouble, man. They'd come to Christ, they'd be saved, and they'd be incorporated in the new covenant, which was an extension of the Abrahamic covenant that salvation be by grace through faith and not through the works of the law. Remember? Amen? So now it's interesting. He's saying, hey, I'm that God. I'm that same God. I'm that everlasting God. I'm the God that keeps covenant. I don't forget the promises I made to my people. So he's letting them know, that's me. I'm, an ever, I'm the everlasting God. And he's contrasted himself with the idols, particularly from chapter 40 through chapter 47, 48. He contrasts himself with all the idols that people worship. He goes, you know, they worship these things. They cut these. Even in chapter 40, you know, talks about how they, the craftsman goes out and cuts down a tree and makes an idol out of it. Throughout Isaiah, he says these things have ears and they have eyes, but they can't even hear, they can't even see. And he even makes fun of those people who are worshiping idols. He says, you have to carry your gods around. He said, God's basically saying, how stupid is that, you know? You're praying to a God that you have to carry around. Now, Paul does say to them that uh, there are powers. Paul says those who worship idols really are worshiping demons, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that demonic entities will, they'll use a tree stump, they'll use whatever they can to get you to to bow down to them so they can ruin your life and use you for evil and spit you out and chew you up and spit you out and be done with you. So the enemy is very, very real, you know. And I know before I became a Christian, you know, I'm not going to share my testimony here today, but to say they're very real. I opened myself up to the powers of darkness, covers getting pulled down, turning sideways in my bed, almost levitating, but sliding down my bed, automatic writing, writing lyrics, you know, that are so anti-Christ, anti-God, words I didn't even understand. And uh, I had no strength in myself then either. And I'd go through states of paralysis, couldn't move, hear a humming sound through my head. But when I cried out to God, and I didn't have power to overcome the enemy, I needed God's power. I cried out to him. Boom, instantaneous deliverance. Wow. But didn't really know who he was, but I'm like, whoa, you're out there, man. Wow. Week or two later, boom, cried out to him again, went through the same situation, delivered me instantly again. I said, okay, I know this was an accident now. Got on my knees and said, God, have mercy on me. And never had that humming sound since that time by the grace of God. God's a powerful God, amen? And, he, and I didn't have strength to have, you know, the Bible says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. That's Ephesians 6, 12. And we're no match for them. That's why Paul says, be strong in the Lord. Amen? Amen. And the power of his might. Because it's in verse 12 of chapter 6 that he says, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but it's the demonic entities. Demonic entities are very wicked. They like to toy with people, you know? They, they like to just, uh, you know, they're a lot smarter than us but they're a lot weaker than God and they have no wisdom compared to God. 
So it's interesting, when he says we wrestle against these powers, that's in 6.10 where he says, be strong of the Lord and the power of his might. And that's where he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may stand against the schemes of the devil in verse 11. Because guess what? Even though Satan is no match for God, we're no match for Satan. Amen? <laughs> so uh, if you're trying to do it alone, you're not going to have victory alone over the, over the dark powers. But through Christ, you have victory. Amen? And that's why he says to take up the shield of faith where which you can quench or uh, extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God and, and gird, be girded with the belt of truth, right? Amen. And, and take the breastplate of righteousness and, and so forth. We're supposed to put on all the armor of God so we can stand in the evil day. So we have, we can't rely on our own strength. Be strong in the Lord and in the what? Power of his might. Amen. So if you're going to be victorious this year, you can't rely on your own power. Amen? Because there is a battle, and you are in that battle. This world that we live in is for, for you is not a playground, okay? Satan has a bullseye on you. And you know what? I know that Satan has a bullseye on us. But you know what? I'd rather have Satan have a bullseye on me than God have a bullseye on me. Amen? Amen? Because again... God is more powerful than Satan. And I knew that when I cried out to God and got delivered before I knew who he was. And then I realized, woo, you are amazing. They open the scripture and that's where we learn about his power and who he is. But as Christians, we have to be careful because a lot of professing Christians, they don't rely on the power of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, Right? Know this, that in the last days perilous or difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, inconvenient, fierce, despisers of those that are good. That's happening, right? Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God. But then it says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. So when I give that list, you're thinking, yeah, that's talking about the world. No, it's talking about the professing church. It's talking about apostasy. Because it says they'll have a form of godliness, they'll claim to be Christians, but they'll be denying his power. And you won't see power in their lives over temptation, over the enemy, over sin. Because they will not be arrayed in the holy armor of God. And by the way, when we talk about putting on the armor of God, it's the armor of God. It's his armor. I can show you in the Old Testament where in Isaiah, God, the Lord God, Jesus Christ, when he returns, he is arrayed in armor. It talks about his breastplate, you know. It talks about the sword of his mouth in Revelation 19. So when we seek him, he arrays us in his armor. And we're basically arrayed in his power. And that's when you have victory over the evil one and temptation and all these things. Oh, the body will grow weary. The body will, will die. The Bible says the outer man is decaying day by day, right? But it says for the Christian, the inner man is being renewed by day by day. Our spirit, amen? We're being renewed day by day. And that's why I love in the book of Revelation, even when the beast, the Antichrist, puts Christians to death, it says in their death, in Revelation chapter 15, they overcome the beast. Isn't that crazy? So even if you get killed, the Bible says neither height nor depth nor principality or power nor any other creative thing, Neither death nor life, death is in there too, can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen? That's a beautiful truth. That way you can't be harmed. You get your head chopped off under the Antichrist, be absent from the body. The Bible says to be present with the Lord. Amen? 
That's a good deal. In fact, that's the best deal. And in fact, it's interesting. We read in uh, Luke 21, Jesus said that, you know, he said they're going to put you to death. They're going to kill you. But he said not one hair on your head will perish. Not one hair. How does that work? Because guess what? He's the God of the resurrection. He says every hair on your head is numbered. You say, why shave my head? Well, you have any facial hair? That's, that's part of your head. Everybody has some kind of hair, I think, you know? He, if you have no hair, he knows every place there's supposed to be hair. In the resurrection, you probably have the best head of hair around. You know, first will be last, last will be first, right? So it's interesting. He knows every hair on our heads. And he goes to the funerals of birds. So he says, consider the birds. You know, consider the sparrows. They're the most inexpensive bird you could buy back then. You could buy, you know, pennies. You, you, you can buy a bunch of but sparrows, and he says, when one falls to the ground, your father notices it. He cares about them. He says, how much greater value are you than many sparrows? It's good to know that he loves us and he cares about us and, and we're made his image, you know? That blesses my heart, you know? Blesses my heart for knowing that my brothers and sisters in Christ, he loves them, not just me. He loves my brothers and sisters. Loves our family members. He loves our children. Amen. Loves our relatives. So it's really awesome. So we recognize that he is this eternal God, and he says more than that. He's the everlasting God, so we can understand that, you know, he's, he's good, and he's been around forever. Number two, he's the creator. Verse 25. Look at verse 25. Go back up a little bit and look at what it says about him in the same chapter. Before it says, he'll renew your strength. In verse 25, it says, to whom uh, will you liken me? Meaning they're making idols and images of all kinds of weird things on the earth. But he says, who are you going to liken me to? He's, you know, the heavens of heavens can't contain him. Who are you going to liken me to? That I would be his equal, says the Holy One. Verse 26, lift your eyes on high and see who has scattered these stars. Now, in ancient Israel, you didn't have lights everywhere at night. Sometimes when you get in the mountains, man, and there's no light around and you look at a starry night without any pollution, it's a blow mine, man. Makes you just want to fall down and worship the creator, amen? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. He knows every person that's ever lived, every star that he ever created. But you look at them, you realize the, the, the house is never as is the creator, the Bible says, of the house, the maker of the house is, bigger, is, is better than the house. Even so, the creator of the universe is superior to the universe itself. And he's the one that created it all. So he wants us to know, and how does that apply to us? Who are you liking me to? You know, look at the stars. I'm the one that created them all. Is they're in Babylonian captivity, the Jews. They're like, how in the world? We lost our nation. We've ceased to be a nation. The Lord promised to bring them back and recreate their nation. So he's letting them know, guess what? I'm the creator. And since I'm the creator, I could recreate the nation of Israel. In fact, they've never ceased to be a nation before him in his mind, amen? Even though they, they were dispersed throughout the world. And they've been brought back more than once, you know. <laughs> you know, a, he says, I'll bring them back a second time, right? They were dispersed into Assyria, and then the, that's the northern 10 tribes and the southern tribes, Benjamin and Judah. They were dispersed about 150 years later into uh, Babylon. And he brought them back. 
In fact, he says in Ezekiel, when I bring them back, and by the way, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, a lot of these guys were being rejected by, by uh, the, the false prophets. And the Jews, when they saw the prophecies fulfilled, they go, well, we better gather their books together because <laughs> that's the word of God. It all happened just like they were saying. And Ezekiel, it says, God would unite the two book, the two sticks together that he had Ezekiel have. And one was the stick of Joseph, right? And these two sticks, it was the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom will become one. Well, when the Jews came back into the promised land, and you had not just Jews from Judah, you had, you know, Paul said he's, you know, from the tribe of Benjamin, amen. When you see Simeon and Anna waiting for the constellation of Israel, one of them is mentioned as being, you know, uh, from the tribe of Asher, you see. And now all the tribes in Israel, to this day, it's one nation now. It's not divided up in a northern and southern kingdom. And that was fulfilled. It's, it's a blow of mind when you think about that. And you, you go to Israel, which I've made several trips there. You see all these prophecies that have been fulfilled. Keep in mind, there's almost 200, it's about 195 nations on the earth right now. No, not one nation has all these prophecies that they would be dispersed throughout the world. They'd be brought back. And then Jesus said, after they rejected him, he said, not one stone will be lying on the temple. And he said, you'll be dispersed throughout the entire world. And he talked about how Jews would be hated, and they are. And he says that you'll be brought back. The scriptures say, I should say, in chapter 34 or 35 of Ezekiel, that there'd be a hiss and a curse to people around the world. But then God, and God did not want them to get comfortable in the other lands because he wanted to bring them back, fulfill his promises. And guess what? Israel became a nation again on May 14th, 1948. And God even says that he'd use the nations to bring them back on their shoulders, the Gentile, the Goyim, which is a really strange prophecy if you're a Jew. It's like, wait a minute. These are the heathen. They're going to use them. And guess what? A UN resolution. The nations which are so, all the resolutions, I'm sorry, were so anti-Israel, right? Just look at the history of Israel. But after the Holocaust, the nations got a heart, heart for a little bit. Just long enough to get them back in the land. But just, what, five, six days, six, or just not long after they became a nation again, boom, all these Arab nations tried to destroy them. And God said he'd protect them. And he did. It's just a blow of mine. It says that their cousins to the east would seek to destroy them, which are the Arabs, uh, and they have and tried to destroy them. And we read about Zechariah 14 that all the nations of the world, that Armageddon, will surround Israel and try to destroy her, but God will protect her, and he'll reveal himself to her, and they'll see him. This is in the Old Testament, the Jewish Bible. They'll see him whom they pierced. So the Jews will see the one they pierced. Amen. And we read Jesus speaks of that in Revelation 1-7. Jesus says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kings of the earth shall wail because of him, even so. Amen. Amen. So it's amazing to see prophecy fulfilled. And I'm emphasizing this because he's the everlasting God. Amen. Amen. He's a God of covenant, but he's also the creator. And he can recreate his nation which, and that's good news for us too, because guess what? We all messed up our lives. I know I, you know, you know, partying, lost, fighting, all that stupid stuff we do as teenagers and just living my own life and, you know, getting all kinds of trouble, you know, getting hauled home in a police car because I wouldn't, I would admit something I did wrong. It was my fault. I was just being arrogant, you know, and stuff like that. And then doing stuff I don't, I'm ashamed to even talk about, but then to find Christ and to be saved and he could take this guy who's just this, this messed up kid and transform my heart and give me a love for him and love for people is, is what, what the Bible calls being born again. Jesus says you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. And of course, when I saw Christians, I didn't really understand what Christianity was. 
I didn't understand light and darkness, spiritual war, any of that. So I was, the Bible says the, the gospel, the good news of Christ and what he's done is foolishness to those who are perishing. It's just foolishness. And that's what it was to me while I was perishing. But to those who are saved, it's the power of God and the salvation, amen? And then he saved me. And then I was like, wow. And then the Bible says, if anyone be in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, what does it say? He is a what? New creation. Behold, old things have passed away, all things become new, amen? So God is a creator. He can't only create, recreate nations, he recreates people, amen? He makes us new, and that's good news. That's good news for each and every one of us. Why it's good news for each and every one of us is because, and this is what blows me away, is nobody falls through the cracks unless they want to. Because the Bible says he has mercy over all of his works. That he cares for each and every person. The Bible says over and over again that God is not partial. He's not just the savior of the Jews. The Jews were a means to reach the Gentile world and save whosoever would come. Jesus over and over again said, whosoever. Come to me, all of you who are weary, Jesus said, and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest for your souls. Amen? Come and drink. He constantly invited everybody. And Paul was the chief of sinners. Remember that? Paul was a Jew who thought Christianity was a cult because it was brand new. And all these Jews were following this one that claimed to be the Messiah. And guess what? He was having Christians put to death. He had letters from Jewish leaders to drag them out of their homes and get them to deny Christ. If they didn't deny Christ, he'd, he'd have them killed. But he ends up getting saved on the road to Damascus. Amen? And he writes half of the New Testament about. He says, remember, he said, God saved me, the chief of sinners. Paul said, I'm the worst sinner, man, because I ravaged the church and everything else. But God showed his mercy to me. Why did he show, save Paul? Do you remember that? He says, Paul says, he saved me, the chief of sinners, so others could know in the future that they would be accepted too. If he saved the worst one, Paul, he'd save anybody that came to him. I got a lot of comfort out of that when I be, first became a Christian. And I got comfort out of John 6, 37. I don't even think I ever tried to memorize John 6, 37. It just was imprinted on my brain because I was like, wow, praise God. Because I'd go through Jesus' ministry and he, anybody that came to him, he'd, he'd heal, he'd save, he'd, he'd minister to him. I was like, wow. And John 6, 37, when I got there, he says, whoever comes to me, because I didn't know any Christians, so I'm like, is he going to accept me, man? I don't think so. And I had to understand the gospel. It was brand new. And I read, read whoever comes to me, I won't cast away any. That's a promise to you. He, that, that's, he loves you. He cares about you. You're made in his image. And that's, that, he's a good God. So understand, he's the everlasting God. But he's also the creator, amen? amen? And because he's the creator, he's saying, he's the one that does all these things. He's almighty. He says he could do anything. The Bible says nothing too difficult for him. But Jesus said all things are po impossible with him. Unless something is absurd and contrary to, like the Bible says, there's things that God can't do in this sense. The Bible says God cannot lie. The Bible says God cannot deny himself. God doesn't tempt man for he is not evil. So God doesn't do evil, right? So, but, but whatever is within the realm of, you know, well, can God make a married bachelor? That's not a thing, okay? So it's like saying, can God do something, you know, can God do something that's, that's ridiculous or can God make a square circle? Well, no, there's no such thing as a square circle. Well, what if there could be a possibility of a square circle? Then God can make it. No big deal. Okay. So it's interesting. When you look at him, he's almighty. He's, 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 from ever, he's eternal, the everlasting God. He is creator. He's almighty. And that's important because guess what? That means he could bear up his people and bring them back into the land. Amen. And then lastly, he mentions that his ways are inscrutable. 
right? And we look at verse uh, 28, the very end of that verse. His understanding is inscrutable, incomprehensible. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He's all-knowing. Anything there is to know, he knows. It's just mind-boggling. The Bible says we don't know everything. The Bible says we see through a glass darkly. Amen. But he, he knows every detail. The Bible says he knows our thoughts and he knows our words from afar. And before, one of the prophets of God says he told the, uh, the, the king he was rebuking that he knows your words before they come off your tongue. Wow. And that's good. You know why? That, because, that means God's never in a pickle. God can never be checkmated. And you know what? When Satan thought he might have had God in checkmate, Christ was on the cross. Amen? And the Bible says, if the world rulers knew what was going on on the cross, knew who he was, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory because it backfired. It all backfired because it was through Christ's death on the cross that our sins were paid for, and then we've been set free from the power of Satan the power of death, and the power of sin, and the power of hell. Amen? That's salvation. Salvation is not just forgiveness of sins. That's a big part of it. That's the main part of it. It's salvation from the wrath of God that we deserve, forgiveness of our sins, but it's also salvation from the power of sin. We're no longer ruled over by our sin nature. Now we have the power of the Holy Spirit to be victorious in life and live a, live a, a, a Christian life. Amen? But we're also victorious over the powers of darkness. Because it says Jesus spoiled the powers of darkness when he set us free in Colossians chapter uh, 2. And it says he became flesh like us and took partake of flesh and blood, Hebrews chapter 2, that he would save us from the power of the devil. Amen? And save us from the fear of death for those who had feared death all their lives. And in 1 John chapter 3, it says that for this purpose the Son of God was manifested in verses 8 through 10 to destroy the works of the devil. Amen? And why do I use those verses? Because those verses aren't used often in preaching, but they mean a lot to me because I came out of that world. And I'm like, wow, the Bible talks about Christ's victory in the cross. Everybody emphasizes that we're saved from sin. And praise God, we emphasize that all the time, the cross. I mean, it's way of a huge cross, but we're saved from sin, but we're also saved from the consequences of sin, amen? We're also gonna be in a new heaven, a new earth, amen, and have these resurrected bodies and be in God's kingdom. There's so much more to it, amen? And, and our feet are on Satan's head, the Bible says, amen? And one day he'll be thrown in a lake of fire. We have victory in this life also over the, not just the consequence of sin and not just the guilt of sin because we're forgiven now, but the power of sin that used to dictate our lives. And that's the power that God wants to give you in Isaiah chapter 40, to walk in the newness of life and, and to have, because, you know, it's unfathomable for people. Before I was saved, I just thought, this is the way I am. This is the way I live my life, you know? And I ran around with other lost people and praise God, after I got saved, my friends started getting saved, my family members started getting saved. You, everybody here knows, some of you have known all of my family members. My dad went to be with the Lord, but, and uh, some of them in the last, were here for what, almost 30 years, but have moved it to uh, Idaho uh, but I still have my sister Kathy, and they still all come out and so forth, and they're involved. Praise God for the live stream we had on Idaho, and a lot of them still watch that, but praise God we were able to send Nick over there, who was a little kid in this church, uh, and Aileen's uh, eldest son, and now he's pastoring that church there. But God just made one big family through those who trust the Lord. He puts you in the family of God. The Bible says he takes a single person and puts them in his family. Isn't that awesome? God's a good God. So... The fact that he's all-knowing means, guess what? You don't have to worry whether God has it figured out or not, amen? He knows the end from the beginning that says amen. amen. And he, 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 
You never play Jesus in chess, you know, and come out victorious, I believe, you know. Uh, not if he's <laughs> operating in his divine power because he's a God man, amen. He didn't always rely on his, uh, but he still remained God, never ceased to be God. So now, it's interesting. Let's continue uh, to look more and more at this and go ahead and look at verse 29 now. He gives strength to the weary. Amen. Any of you ever weary? Tired? The Bible says don't grow weary in well-doing three times in the New Testament. Thessalonians. It's in Galatians. Tell us not grow weary in well-doing. And, but wait a minute. How do you not grow weary? Because that seems to be a consequence of just living in a fallen world in these bodies that are also fallen. Well, guess what? We can grow weary physically, but we can continue to do good. We continue to live for the Lord and have strength to live for the Lord. He gives strength to the weary, verse 29, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. These, are, these verses are beautiful before you get to 31, which is where we started. He increases power. He's letting them know those that are captives in Babylon, but it's also general promises as well. In fact, some commentators, I've looked at a number of commentaries on Isaiah uh, 40 uh, as I worked on this message, and you know, sometimes the commentators say, it's everything he's saying here is pretty much unrelated to their captivity. I have a hard time believing that when he's talking about their captivity in the chapter before, and then he's encouraging them about his own strength and power and who he is and to put their trust in him. He wants us to trust him, and uh, he wants us to let, let us know that when we lack strength and we grow weary and we lack might, he increases power. God wants to empower you, amen? That's, a, that's good news. His eyes go to and fro throughout the earth, it says, looking for those whose heart will be flung fully to him so he can strengthen them, amen? amen. Verse 30. Though youths or young people grow weary and tired, even young people grow tired. I mean, we're seeing, I don't know, man, I, I heard 1,500 people in Europe, soccer players and so forth, just fell over with heart problems in Europe. Just, just like flies. Young people, that, soccer players, these are some of the, I don't know if it was 1,500 soccer players, that's how it was reported. I don't know how many uh, it was, but a ton. And it was when a... Uh, uh, expert, medical expert that's been reviewing what's been going on with people. I thought, wow, 1,500 people, man. These are people that are young, that are strong, and they can still, f the, influ the Spanish influenza that took so many lives, it, it took many of the young people's lives first. And he's saying, even though youths also grow weary, and those are the ones that you expect to be strong, right? They get tired too. They get weak as well. Though youths grow weary and tired, verse 30, and vigorous young men stumble badly, verse 31. Yet those who what? Wait for the Lord or wait on the Lord will what? Gain new strength. Will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary or burn out. I love that. My wife and I got away for about, we hadn't been gotten away for ages, so we got away for almost a week and a while back there. And uh, where we're at, it was kind of rainy like it is here. And we went to a lake and nobody was there. Beautiful lake in the woods and it was gorgeous out. But it was raining off and on. It was chilly and cold. We were bundled up. But we had all for ourselves. It was beautiful in the forest. 
And then my wife's like, what is that white bird with the bird with the white head flying across the, the lake? Now the white tail too, right? So you're thinking, I'm thinking, I don't know though, but I'm thinking, that looks like a bald eagle. So I bald eagle on my phone. Boom. I'm like, I think it's, and it got closer. And sure enough, it was a bald eagle and it swept a fish out of the lake and went and perched in a tree right next to us, you know, like 20 steps down, you know? And I went and walked toward it and Lisa got it on film and she filmed it going back and took off eventually and then it grabbed another fish and they're just such beautiful creatures. And, and, it, and it was set, it's set apart from the other. Birds are awesome. I love birds, you know? Uh, I had a couple parakeets when I was a kid. That didn't go well for them, you know? I didn't kill them, but I was like, shut up in the morning, put the blanket over them. I'm like, why did I get these things, man? Just right the first dawn of light and that was not me. They'd wake right up, wake you up, right? And uh, had pigeons too, had a pigeon coop. My Airedale killed a bunch of those pigeons back in those days. But I like, always like birds, but there's nothing like an eagle, man. They're, they're like amazing creatures, you know? But God's made a lot of these creatures also to reflect his power and his glory. In fact, the cherubim, which are the most powerful angels, they have four different faces, right? When you read Ezekiel, face of a man, face of a lion, face of an ox, and the face of an eagle. And it's like, wow, that's kind of a trip. And so like, that the angels, you know, somebody says, oh, your kid looks like a, so sweet, what a cute little cherub. I'm like, face of an ox, face of a, you know, I'm not sure. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? You're like, I don't know if that's a compliment or not, you know? <laughs> Which part of the cherub do you think he looks like, you know, or she does, you know? So, but it's kind of crazy when you think about it, is, is they're such beautiful creatures. But he says, we can soar like eagles. That's a trip. And he wants to give us new strength. Now, what's interesting is we don't get that strength unless we recognize that we're limited in our own power. When we trust in our own power and we don't seek God, then we're just kind of stuck with our own natural power, which runs out. We get sick, we get tired, we die. But he wants to give us supernatural power. He wants to renew the strength that he gave us when we first got saved. If you haven't been saved yet, then you're going to come into the newness of power when you accept Christ. Amen. Amen. But he wants to continue to renew that strength. And I look at the book of Acts and how they were there tearing at Pentecost for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon them after Jesus commissioned them to go into all the world. But he said, first go to Jerusalem, right? In the upper room, they're tearing, waiting, and the Holy Spirit came upon them in power. And there were cloven tongues of fire on their heads and they all spoke in tongues, which was God saying, hey, this is it. This is the day I'm pouring out my power. And Jesus says, you will be endued with power from on high. You shall be my witnesses in all the world, beginning in Jerusalem, you know, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. How are they going to fulfill that promise? Well, he's going to give them power. He said, all power in heaven and earth is given to me, right before he gave the Great Commission. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, he says that. Then in verses 19 and 20, right after he says, all power in heaven and earth is given to me, he says, go into all the world. Preach the gospel to all the nations. Make disciples of all nations, right? Teaching them to observe everything I've, I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, meaning he's with us. That's where the power is at. Remember last Sunday, I was talking about how to have joy, and Jesus says, my joy I give to you, and he's the vine, and we're the branches, and our joy comes from Jesus and our relationship with him. And joy is more than happiness. Happiness is based on what we're experiencing, what's happening, happiness. If you're going through down times, you're unhappy. If you're going through great times, you're happy. But joy is a deep inner quality that God gives us by his spirit. So even when things aren't going well that are, and they're not happening well around us, we can have the inner joy 
because we see the big picture. And we know that God's creator. We know that he's almighty. We know that he's the everlasting God. And we know that his wisdom is inscrutable. Amen. And that he works all things together for the good for those who love him. And the call according to his purpose because he's all wise. He makes everything beautiful in this time. So we also have what's happening spiritually going on. So we have a reason to be happy. It's not blind, blind joy. It's based on what, who he is and what he's doing. But even so, he also gives us strength. He doesn't just give us joy. He gives us strength to carry on and to face the spiritual battles And every one of us will have those spiritual battles, but he's there to cry out to him and say, God, give me strength. You made me. I want to be with you for eternity. You know, Satan loses, you know, if there's a, here you see that people put the L up, you know, it's kind of rude. I don't think that's nice, but, but if anybody has a big L on their head, it's the devil. Okay. Because the Bible says he's, you know, he's going to, the Bible says in Isaiah 14, when Satan is cast into the lake of fire, Mentions him being thrown in Revelation 20, verse 10, in the lake of fire. But in Isaiah 14, it says, when he's thrown into the pit, the people that he deceived, the nations, will say, this is the one that deceived us? And he's like a worm. I mean, they're, they're, like, they're like mocking him. Because any power that Satan has, God gave him for a while, right? Then he strips him of that power, and he's reduced to, to ashes, pretty much. So it's important to understand that power comes, you know, from the Lord, and that he is good. And it's interesting because when we're looking at these passages, there's something quite interesting here about him giving you the strength, is we have to trust the Lord, first and foremost. Why do you think he's saying these things about himself to the Jews that are in Babylon, and thereby to us as well? We were once in Egypt or Babylon spiritually, right? And we've been delivered. Why does he say these things to them? Because he wants them to trust him. You can't get far with the Lord if you don't trust him. And that's why faith is so important. We have to put our faith in Jesus. We have to trust him. Everyone here exercises a measure of faith in one way or another. Everyone that's here right now has had some faith when they came in. Not saving faith, just faith. Everybody has, you did not sit down unless you had faith that the seat you were going to sit on was going to hold you up, right? There's a lot of seats you could sit on that will not hold us up, right? I'm famous for breaking chairs. And I was like, be careful, big guy, you know? And she's like, and if I move around on a chair, I can be at a restaurant. <laughs> not a lot. It's happened a couple times. Not quite like that. Not that dramatic, you know? But you hear something go, crack. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I think I broke the chair, you know? I don't do that a lot. You know, I lost some weight. Thanks God, by the, by the glory, grace of God. <laughs> but I still got a little ways to go, or a lot of ways to go, more to go. But what crazy thing is this, is that you sat down because you knew, you put your faith, you looked at it, you determined, yep, that's going to hold me up. If you saw a chair that didn't look like it was going to hold you up, you're like, I ain't going to sit on that, you know? But, but Bible, God gives us reasons to believe. There's a lot of reasons not to trust, for instance, politicians, right? You guys agree with that? <laughs> you can't trust uh, uh, so many of these politicians. And there's so many uh, people that you cannot trust. The Bible says, curse is the one who puts his trust in man. Because people always let you down. Some people are more trustworthy than others, praise God. And praise God, we all, we've all been a family for years and years together and we've seen people's track records as there are people that are sincere and so forth. But as far as salvation goes and eternal life, you can't put your trust in that man. You gotta put your trust in God. And that's why he reminds them that he is the creator, that he is the everlasting God, that he is almighty and that he is all wise. Amen? Because he's good. And that's what encourages us to put our trust in the Lord. So it's interesting uh, what does it mean to wait on the Lord? What does it mean to wait on the Lord? 
Sometimes when people see, oh, it says wait on the Lord, that means you kind of just sit around and twiddle your thumbs and wait for God to do something. But in the Bible, waiting on God is, is, is it's powerful, but it's, it's active. It's not passive. It has to do with seeking him and praying and crying out to him. In fact, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Psalms quickly. Psalm chapter 27. And go ahead and look at the last verse, verse 14, I believe it is. Yep, it's verse 14. Psalm chapter 27, verse 14. This is one of the classic passages on waiting on the Lord. And David talks about what it means to wait on the Lord throughout this chapter. But in verse 14, he says, wait for the Lord. Verse 14, I'm sorry. Chapter 27, verse 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Amen? Amen. So we're supposed to wait for him. We're supposed to wait on him. We're supposed to seek him. Well, what does it mean to wait for the Lord? What does it mean to wait on the Lord? Back up. Look at chapter 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. It means you trust him. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me. Wow, I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing. In spite of this, I shall be confident. It means to have confidence in the midst of horrific adversity because you're seeing him who made you, who loves you, who cares about you, who is the everlasting God, who is the creator, who is almighty, who is all wise. Verse four, one thing I have asked for, and now check this out. One thing I have asked from the Lord, that shall I what? Seek, see, it's not passive. We wait on him, you're seeking him, you're praying to him. In fact, a lot of this psalm is about praying. I shall seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. I love this verse, guys. What, what does David seek? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. He wants to behold the beauty of the Lord. Man, the Lord made the rainbows, man. He made the, he made the skyscapes. He made the landscapes. He made the, the mountainscapes. He made all this beautiful stuff, the ocean and all the stars, all this beauty. That's a reflection of who he is. That's why when it says Jesus, when he'd be born in Isaiah chapter 9, He's called many names there, Prince of Peace and so forth, but he's also called Mighty God there, but he's also called what? Wonderful. You know, we talked about that a few weeks ago. He is wonderful, full of wonder, man. And, and he wants to just behold the glory of the Lord. And when you worship and you sing praise songs, and we praise God for those uh, who lead worship amongst us, and praise God, Jay, that was beautiful worship, and uh, praise God, Gerald, and, all, and, and Doug, and everybody that leads us, and you, it says magnify the Lord. When you sing praise songs and lift up your voices to him, you're magnifying him. And just like a magnifying glass will blow up something, you'll see more of its beauty, like a flower or what have you. When you sing praise songs to God, you're magnifying him. And that's why sometimes you'll get goosebumps or you'll start to cry or you just get just an incredibly beautiful, warm feeling at times. You have that sometimes when you worship and you say, I've never had that. Well, just worship him, man. Abandon yourself to the Lord and, 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 and just submit fully to him in praise and worship and you magnify him. You get to see his beauty and David's waiting on him. And when you see his beauty and you experience him, you experience who he is as you submit to him and as you experience his power. Verse five, from the day of trouble... This is interesting. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. That's why Paul said, too, to put, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might, right? And he says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may stand in the evil day, therefore, having done everything to stand. So in the evil day, and we're all going to have an evil day. They're, they're going to happen in our lives. 
You're going to stand or fall. But guess what? In the day of trouble, Paul says, God will protect him. Verse 6, and now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in the tent a sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. He's crying out. You're waiting on the Lord. He's crying out to God. So when you're waiting on God, you cry out to him, amen? It's those who wait on the Lord. It's those are the ones he renews their strength, amen? You cannot have your strength renewed if you just sit around and say, I'm kind of just waiting. You don't be, you're not empowered by God through osmosis, you know? Not, you don't just kind of hang out. It happens. You seek him in prayer. You cry out to him. You know, I got gas. I think it was today, you know, filled up my truck today or yesterday, but I had to go and fill it up. You know, it didn't just happen. You know, it'd be nice to have a car. It's just always had gas in it. You know, it'd be a lot cheaper, you know, but I had to go get gas. Well, guess what? We have to get empowered from the Lord. We have to seek him through prayer. By the way, on the day of Pentecost, remember, they were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. They went and witnessed. But guess what? When you go through the book of Acts, it's not like they just, just witnessed and they're full of power all the time. In Acts chapter 4, it talks about how they were seeking the, the Lord in prayer. They're crying out to him. And it says the place was shaken that they were praying in, man. And God empowered them. And they went and preached the gospel. It says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. We want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Spirit is God in us. Amen. And the Bible says, we're commanded in the Ephesians chapter 6 or verse, chapter 5, verse 18. It says, don't be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? He wants to fill us with the Spirit. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, and be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, seek my face. See what the Lord said? That's what it means to wait on me. You need to seek his face. Seek my face. My heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. So David knew what it meant to wait, wait on the Lord. I mean, you look at David, man. He was running around like a wild dog from King Saul who was trying to kill him when King Saul realized that God wanted to make David king, amen? amen. But he had to wait on the Lord to get new strength. Otherwise, he'd been too, too exhausted to go on. But he went on. God had gave him strength spiritually and evidently physically as well. When you said, seek my face, verse 8, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. I love that verse, man. The Lord's saying to you and to me to seek him. And our answer should be, Lord, I'm going to seek you. Do you cry out to God? I mean, I challenge you. You want new strength this year? You want to be empowered by God to live the life he's called you to live and have a, a blessed, prosperous life in Christ Jesus? Seek his face. And when he says, seek me, say, yes, Lord, I'm going to seek you. Do you lift your heart in prayer? Make sure, make sure this year that you're going to be a person of prayer. Amen? That you're going to cry out to the Lord and make it a habit. You're going to be disciplined. God calls us to discipline. In Timothy, the Lord says that, that, you know, that we're called to be disciplined. And he talks about the athlete who's disciplined. He talks about how spiritual exercise is good, for, or physical exercise, it says, Paul says, is good for a little in this life. Just a little. It's good. It's good for us. But compared to spiritual exercise, he says it's nothing. He says it's nothing. He says it's little, okay? He says physical exercise is good for a little, but spiritual exercise is good for much, not only in this world, but in the world to come. Amen? And when you look at some of the top athletes in the world, in various sports, right? You look at like Michael Jordan and, and LeBron James, right? And uh, you look at, you know, different uh, baseball players, you know, Mike, Mike Trout, you know, uh, you know, football players, you know, some of the best football players that ever lived. I'm a Dolphin fan, so I'm not going to mention Tom Brady, you know? <laughs> uh, but uh, although he's relied a little bit on sorcery too, right? So, but... Uh, 
it's kind of crazy. You look at these guys. Do you think they just all just walk on the court? Even the, even the top athletes, man, they have very disciplined lives. They give themselves over to disciplining their sport craft long before it's game day. Habits, keyword. It's a habit they have. It's something they discipline. They, do it, they, they, they have a routine. And the best athletes and the ones that stand out, it's like, well, they, you know, I mean, there may be a few that they're naturally, way naturally talented, but if they, as they get older or whatever, they're not going to do it anymore if they're not out there practicing hard. You know, and guess what? How much more for God's kingdom should we make the habit of practicing spirit, our, our spirituality, amen? So we can be elite in God's kingdom as far as doing wonderful things for his glory, amen? amen. Why would you not want to be all that God wants you to be in this world? We have one shot at it before we stand before the Lord, amen? amen? So let's be what God's called us to be, amen? And let's give ourselves to the, fully to the Lord. Now it's interesting, uh, as I mentioned it's imperative that we trust him. And if you look at like verse uh, eight, do not hide your face. He's praying. So part of waiting on him is praying. Do not hide your face from me. Uh, do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me nor forsake me, O God, of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but lo the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in the level path because of my foes. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries. For false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have de uh, despaired unless I had believed that. Now, this is important. This is where the trust kicks in. Why faith is a huge part of trusting the Lord when it, and waiting on him. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of of the Lord in the land of the living. Verse 14, wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. So when you're waiting on the Lord, you're waiting for the Lord, you're seeking him and anticipating that he's going to act on your behalf because he's good. Because that's who he is, his nature is good. We, somebody said in the beginning, when I started the service, somebody said, God is good, amen? amen? And I said all the time, and they said all the time, and we said, God is good, you know? That's a refrain that we use, and, and, and that's good to affirm his goodness. In fact, that's one reason we could trust him, because God is good. Isaiah chapter 50, 25 verse one says, O Lord, you are my God, I will exalt you. I will give thanks to your name, for you have worked wonders, plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. He's perfectly faithful. He keeps his promises, amen. Psalm 100, Psalm 100 verse five. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. Amen. And, and I mentioned the scripture earlier, Psalm chapter 145, verse 9, the Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. That's the part I mentioned. But the first part of that says he's good to all. He, he wants, he, he's not like some killjoys up there like, man, I just hate a bunch of people. I love a bunch of people. He, he so loved the world that he gave his son for everybody. Amen. Now, if you reject him and you become pure evil, guess what? The Bible says God hates evil. So if you're going to make yourself pure evil and totally reject God, then you're going to be in that category. And the Bible says God hates evil. But just simply say, God, I'm evil without you, but have mercy on me and cleanse me by the precious blood of Christ and you'll be saved. Amen? Put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent and put your faith in him. We can trust him because he keeps his promises. Amen? Listen to this. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. It says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. 
Okay, so that's amazing. It says, does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Isn't that a great verse? Isaiah 20, or 14, 24 is very similar. It says, the Lord Almighty has sworn, surely I have planned, so it will be. And as I have purpose, so it will stand. He's sovereign. He's all powerful. You cannot thwart his will. Amen? He's such an awesome God. That's why we exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we exalt God. He's such an awesome God. I love 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 56, which states, quote, Praise be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel, just as he promised. Not one word, I love, listen to this, not one word has failed in all the good promises he gave through his servant to Moses. Not one of them failed. Doesn't, God doesn't lie, Okay. I like the way it says it in uh, the King James, not one of his words that's fallen to the ground. I mean, just failed, you know. And uh, Ecclesiastes, as I mentioned, he'll make everything beautiful in his time. So we need to wait on the Lord. We need to pursue him. We need to seek him. Did Jesus wait on the Lord? What did we see him doing over and over again in his ministry? Going to the mountains, going to the wilderness, going to the Garden of Gethsemane and praying and seeking the Father. And Jesus says, I've given you an example he says that the, the disciple, and where is his disciples, when he's done with them, should look like their master. That means what we should be doing is also have a, a place where we go and pray. God wants to hear from you. He loves you. He wants, yeah, but I'm so imperfect and I'm so flawed. I'm such a fallen person. Guess what? I have three kids and now I have six grandchildren. And guess what? Not one of them is perfect. <laughs> Not one of them, but I love them still. And Jesus said, you fathers being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father in heaven bless you or give good gifts to you and how much more he says will he give you the holy spirit power strength to live the life he's called you to live that's powerful when you think about that because i look i don't think and my kids you know what they're really not deep down my kids you know they're they're, they're not they're far from perfect or my grandchildren i'm never uh, uh, that would be horrible of me well god's saying guess what he's way better than us right he's perfect how much more does he want to bless you because we become his kids. The Bible says as many as received Christ, he gave the right to become the children of God. That's you just get born again to his family. You say, God, have mercy on me. You're born again. He forgives you all of your sins. And you become a new creation in Christ Jesus. And it says he renews your strength. So trust, man. You need to pray. You need to get into his word. Remember, it says as newborn babes, seek the pure milk of the word that you might grow in respect to your salvation. So we should, this year, man, say, man, I'm going to get in God's word. I'm going to grow in my salvation. I'm going to seek him through his word. I'm going to seek him through prayer. And so I'm just going to end by basically, let's go to that last verse there in Isaiah 40 and talk just for a few minutes about that. Isaiah chapter 40. I love this. Those who wait for the Lord, that means to pray, seek him, be in his word, cry out to him, will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Man, he'll renew their strength. I got a call today from an old guy, but I don't think of him as old. Uh, he's 77 years old, and his wife, Suksha, is 80 years old, Jay and Suksha. Hey, remember Jay and Suksha? He was an elder here for years. He called me, and he sounds like he sounded 30 years ago when he first started coming to Blessed Hope Chapel. Lives in Palm Springs now. He was all excited. And I told him that. I go, Jay, I love to hear your exuberance, your excitement about for the Lord. 77 years old. Okay. And he said, yeah. He goes, I got some good news, Joe. I want to share this good news with you. And 
I planned to talk to him between A and B when I was doing my errands, getting things done. So I'm trying to always juggle things. And I go, and I go, Jay, I got like 10 minutes, you know. And we probably talked for almost 15. He's like, Joe. He goes, man. And he prays. Jay and Suksha, they pray at least 45 minutes an hour a day together, okay? That's their, their time. They just go off and they pray for everybody and everything. But you know, when he first got saved in 1994, he was in Thousand Oaks area. He came out of the Church Universal Triumphant Cult over hold up there in this compound underground bunker or whatever over in Montana, Elizabeth Clare Prophet, who was channeling the spirit germane, you know, demonic entity. And he realized it was a cult and they were putting curses on people. Chants where they literally curse Christians and all kinds of people. And he said, then I saw the light, he came to Christ. He's in Thousand Oaks and he asked the, uh, the guy that was running the Christian bookstore there. He goes, man, I give him his testimony. He goes, man, where, does, where should I go to church? And he goes, he pointed to the Blessed Oak Chapel. He goes, you, know, you need to go to Blessed Oak Chapel. So he came here. Jay grew. Uh, he's praying for his wife-to-be, Suksha. She comes around. She gets saved. Radical servants of Christ in this fellowship for years. Uh, they moved away, retired, moved to Palm Springs area. But right after he became a Christian, a few years later, 1997, he went to, flew with his wife to go visit his daughter who just graduated from college. And he was sharing Jesus with her. And she said, I want nothing to do with you ever again. Because he kept sharing Jesus with her and she got tired. She said, I want to hear it again. And I'm never going to talk. I wouldn't have never talked to you again. Broke his heart. You know, Jay, you know, such a sweetheart. Sukcha too. That's awesome. I love those guys. Well, he said, Joe, all these years, you know, we've been just kept praying and praying and praying for her. Haven't heard from her since 1997. She didn't want anything to do with me. And he said, all of a sudden, uh, long story short, because I'm looking at the clock here. But all of a sudden, he said that she got in touch with him. And it was like the day after Christmas where he realized and responded to her because she said, Dad, I've been saved for the last year. I've been trying to, since Father, I was trying to make amends with different people in my life that I had broken relationships with. And I thought, I need to restore my relationship with my dad. And Dad, I want, you know, I want to have a relationship with you. And, and he said, I want to have a relationship with you. And she says, she was praising God. She goes, because God still does Christmas miracles then, you know. And there was just all that excitement, you know. And they were both excited. And he goes, Joe, we're having a relationship again. And, God, and, and I hope everybody, don't, we, we pray for all these 30 years. We didn't stop praying. And look what happened. Guys, don't stop praying. Keep waiting on the Lord. Amen. So there's a couple, couple good things in that illustration. Don't stop praying. Amen. Keep waiting on the Lord. Amen. He'll show up. Amen. In ways oftentimes we don't expect it. But guess what? Jay was all excited. And he sounded like the Jay. He's always sounded like it. And I'm like, Jay, how old are you? He's like, 77. How old is Suksha? If you don't mind me asking. Because I've known her age before. So he's like, 80. I'm like, Jay, I'm so glad. And he's talking about, yeah, our prayer life. And, you know, we pray all, all day long, you know, 45 minutes to an hour, at least a day together. Not that you have to do that every day, but be a person of prayer, amen? Seek him intermittently. Seek, pray without ceasing, amen? But also have intermittent times where you're actually really crying out to him. But then there's times when you're driving, you're working, you can't just like, you know, all of a sudden fall down while everybody's working and everybody's work while you're praying and kick you in the rear end and get to work, man, the boss. But you can pray while you're doing whatever, amen? But let's be people of prayer. Let's be people that are the word. Let's wait on the Lord, amen. He'll renew our strengths. And guess what? We'll have, like Jay, a 77, full of vigor for Jesus, amen. Sounds like a young guy still. You're like, wow, God's amazing, amen. Let's let that be an example to us, amen. And guess what? When Jesus Christ comes back, the Bible says, 
Concerning Christ's coming, are being gathered together to him, 2 Thessalonians 2, 1. And 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, that when Jesus Christ comes back, the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will be caught up to meet them in the air. We're literally going to fly like eagles. Think about it. We just gotta keep waiting, amen? And whether we're dead in Christ or those who are alive when he comes back, we'll all be caught up together. And it says we'll be like him. And they saw him ascend. He's going to descend. And we're going to ascend ascend to him and descend with him. So in your new bodies, you're going to have the power of flight, which is pretty cool, amen? (laughs) But let's get down just our walk right now, amen? Amen. Praise God. Can we all pray? Praise God. Father God, we love you so much. And you are so good. We praise you for your word. It's alive. It's true. And uh, we praise you, Father, that we can see the promises that you've kept to Israel. And you've brought them back. And, and, and the very things that your word says would be happening in the last days are taking place as many people want to destroy Israel. And, but we thank you, Father, that you're faithful, that you are the everlasting God, that you are the almighty God, that you are the creator of all things, that you are omni, omniscient, omnibenevolent, all-loving. You're just altogether good. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to wait on you this year so we could have new strength for the new year and that we continue to grow in Christ and be all that you've called us to be. And Father, we pray if there's anybody here that's watching by way of live stream uh, through the internet or what have you or uh, watching, listening later, Father, or watching later through YouTube or whatever, or just even here right now that doesn't know you, that hasn't been saved, that they know that you are good, that you love them, that you made them in your image and that you want them as Paul to cast all the junk that they've done behind them and that they'd bring it to the cross and say, God, have mercy on me. And to know even as Paul or Jesus himself talked about the, the, the sinner, the tax gatherer that everybody probably hated, went into the temple and, and beat his chest, didn't even look up because he was so ashamed. He said, God, have mercy on me. And Jesus says, that man left right with you, Father, because he cried out for mercy. And we praise God that we can have mercy because Jesus paid for every sin we've committed and that your word says, that he not only died, but he rose again. And that if we repent, turn from a life of rebellion and embrace you, we thank you for your word, Father, which promises that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We thank you and we pray, Father, if there's anybody here that doesn't know Jesus, that they'd ask him into their lives right now, into their hearts, and they'd know and trust that you are good and you will keep your promise and you will come to live in them and make them a new creation in Christ Jesus. We praise you, God, for the gift of salvation. We praise you for eternal life. We worship you. We exalt you. We honor you. Father, give us strength to be a witness, to be lights on a hill, not to burn out, but to light up. In Jesus' name, amen.